0: Amen. Thank you folks. Let's take our Bibles tonight, please turn to 2nd Thessalonians, 2nd Thessalonians tonight chapter 2. 2nd Thessalonians chapter 2. Please remember to sign up for our anniversary banquet. And uh, I saw some of these went into the box on the way out this morning. That's wonderful. And we've had a bunch sign up digitally. I did send out that email again. I'm glad I remembered. And I got a few more that uh, clicked on that link. And so please sign up right away and be ready to go on Friday night. We're looking forward to a a great weekend here celebrating our 90th anniversary. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 tonight. I've been uh, in personal study. I've been studying the book of Daniel and the book of Daniel really is two books. The first six chapters deal with the life and times of Daniel. They deal with four different kings that came across the nation of Babylon and, and uh, while they were in captivity there, and how uh, Daniel, of course, in the lions, end, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, in the fiery furnace, and the, the different things that were going on with the religious systems in those days. And then the from chapter 7 to the end of the book, we read more about the visions of Daniel and the prophecies that he made while he was in that place. And Lord just touched my heart about those prophecies, and I'd like to talk about those visions of Daniel. And uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to start a series, but I'm going to be honest with you, it would probably be the new year. And uh, because already we're at the anniversary services next week, the following week my wife and I are away... And then we only have a couple more weeks, and we are right into uh, Christmas season. So I'm going to wait so I can do it all at once, and we'll wait till January. And I'm studying for that. We'll pray about that. I'm looking forward to that, the visions of Daniel. But in my study, the visions of Daniel, of course, we go to other prophetic parts of the Bible. And so tonight we're going to look at 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, about the coming day of the Lord. As it's referred to in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, the day of Christ. All right, so let me uh, go ahead and help you to find your place. If you want to save some time tonight, it's going to be a bit of a study, Bible study, and we're going to have to turn some other passages. You might look up the book of Daniel. But around chapter 9, if you stick a bookmark in there, we'll be back and forth. Daniel 9, 10, 11, and 12 a little bit. And then we'll be into First and Second Thessalonians a little bit. And also Revelation chapter 13. If you want to mark a place in Revelation 13, uh, you will beat me there when it comes time to turn, okay? So let's have a look there. And while you're finding those places, let me mention... Uh, I haven't given you much notice on this uh, just because it just kind of came to fruition this morning and we're going to go ahead and um, I'll announce it tonight but I'll send out an email this week and if you'd like to participate you can. We're going to take an anniversary offering this year. We've not done that in a lot of years but we're going to take an anniversary offering this, this year and we're going to purchase with that money uh, a new bus. We need another bus And uh, Brother Vogel has been uh, very keen about watching for uh, buses that come up and and are available to us. And we can't just have any bus. We have to be careful what we purchase. Uh, If we get a yellow school bus, we have to have it painted, and that costs a lot of money. So we just kind of keep our eyes open. And and God has blessed us over the years giving us buses. They all seem to be white. Every time we get one, we get a white bus, which saves us about $3,500 in painting that thing. And then uh, we want to make sure it doesn't have a ton of miles on it. You know, we want to get some use out of it. And and so uh, the Lord sent a bus to Brother Vogel a few weeks ago, and him and Calvin went and had a look at it, and it's phenomenal. As a matter of fact, it only has about 120,000 kilometers. Most of the buses that we get already have 300,000 on them. So we praise the Lord for that. The body looks good. Um, We will. Do we have a picture of it, Brother Judge? You forgot. The man who never forgets. Anyway, we'll, we'll get, I'll put that in the email. You can see a picture of that bus. It's already white, and uh, it, it would serve us very well. Purchasing a bus is not like purchasing a car. If you have a car that breaks down... And you can't fix it, you go and you buy another car. We cannot do that with buses. They are hard to find and uh, to to meet our needs. And so uh, there will be a bit of an overlap. We're hoping to get a a few more months out of one of the buses that we have and uh, be able to use them for our Master Clubs program and our Sunday School program. But it is a great opportunity. And uh, I was supposed to have a deacon's meeting about 10 days ago, and it didn't work out. We couldn't have the meeting. Uh, Brother Wolfgang passed away that day, and I, I was figuring I got to deal with family today and everything. So I, I postponed the meeting, and then uh, we've had people away, and we've just not been able to meet until today. In the meantime, they dropped the fellow called Brother Vogel and said, I'd like to drop the price, $5,000, and I'll throw in the safety. Wow. So praise the Lord. So the Lord worked on his heart during that time. And uh, it, it's a far better price. I'll just tell you, we, they, originally they wanted $20,000 plus a safety. Now he said I'll do it for 15000 including the safety. So praise the Lord. And so it's a fantastic price and uh, only 120,000 kilometers. So pray with us about that. And we will send out an email, and if you're able to help and be a blessing in that way, that's what our anniversary offering will be this year. And uh, we had a deacon's meeting this afternoon to try to get it all pulled together and get it straightened around, and and praise the Lord, we're going to move forward with that bus. And so if you would pray with us about that and what the Lord would lay upon your heart that we can do uh, for the cause of Christ. You know, it's, it's not just a bus, right? It represents bringing boys and girls and moms and dads to church. And under the sound of the gospel. And that's really what our heart is. If it was just to say, we've got a fleet of buses, I'm not interested in that. But if it's a tool that we can use in reaching people for Christ, that's important. And so let's, let's do our best and let's pray this week. Second Thessalonians chapter 2. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. And uh, Brother Judge, I, I'm, I'm just going to peek behind the curtain for a minute. I find it ironic because I'd forgotten about it. And Brother Judge put it up on the screen. And he said, anniversary offering. And then, and then he forgot the other part. So I don't know. We're not a very good team tonight. The coming day of the Lord. Is anybody looking forward to that? Amen. I'm not. I won't be here. Amen. I'm looking forward to what happens first. The trump shall sound. The dead in Christ shall rise first, and we which are alive and remain shall be caught away. To forever be with the Lord. I'm looking forward to that day. But what happens after that is a period of God's wrath. Specifically to judge the nation of Israel. And then those nations of the world that have fallen out of God's favor because of sin. And so tonight we're going to look at something important doctrine in the Bible. in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. And you'll notice what it says. Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together unto him. Now, I'm going to expound on that just slightly tonight. As we get in, let's do this. Let's stop right now. Let's have a word of prayer. And uh, before I read, because I'm, I'm apt to say some things while we read, and we need the Lord's blessing on it, and I need the help organizing my thoughts. So let's have a word of prayer. Father, help us tonight. We ask for your Spirit's presence and power. Lord, it is part of the Word of God. And, uh, Lord, it's important that we learn it and understand it. If the church of Thessalonica was confused after hearing the very clear teachings of the Apostle Paul. It's no wonder today that so many are confused about these doctrines. So I pray that you'd help us by your Spirit. Speak to our hearts. Organize my thoughts. There's a lot of Scripture tonight, and I pray that you'd help us. We'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Now we beseech you, you, brethren, by the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together unto him. I just want to mention in in way of passing tonight, we don't have time to go into all these doctrines tonight, but I want to mention this. So many confuse the return of the Lord as a one-time event, but it is a massive event that has two parts to it. We have the meeting of the saints in the air. The Lord will meet us in the air. That's described in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. The Lord himself shall descend with a shout, the voice of the archangel and the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first, and then they that remain will be caught up forever to be with the Lord. And and we look forward to that catching away, that time where we are translated to be with the Lord, much like we heard about Enoch this morning. But then there's the second part, there's the return of the Lord Jesus Christ with his saints. We read about that in Revelation chapter 19 as the Lord returns on a white horse and thousands, it says ten thousands times ten thousands of his saints. In other parts of scripture it describes the number that will return with the Lord. And by the way, it calls us the armies of the Lord, but we do absolutely nothing. Except the word of God goes out of the mouth of the Lord Jesus Christ and slays all the enemies of God. We just watch. We're cheerleaders in the battle, if you will. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 speaks of that doctrine somewhat. In the Greek language, in the original language, it says, Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together unto him. When we link words with conjunctions such as and, we're often putting things together. And, but in the Greek here is literally saying there's one event, but there's two distinct appearances of Christ. It is saying there is this, the coming of our Lord, and at a different time, are gathering together unto him. And so it speaks of the rapture and it speaks of the return of the Lord. Now notice what he says, that ye, talking to the church of Thessalonica, be not soon shaken in mind or be troubled neither by spirit nor by word nor by letter as from us, as that the day of Christ is at hand. Is at hand. Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come except there come a falling away first And that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition, who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God or what is worshipped, so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God, and showing himself that he is God. Remember ye not that when I was yet with you, I told you these things." And now you know what withholdeth that he might be revealed in his time. For the mystery of iniquity doth already work. For only he who now letteth will let until he be taken out of the way. And then shall that wicked be revealed whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming even him whose coming is after the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders and with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish "...because they received not the love of the truth, that they might be saved. And for this cause God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe alive, that they all might be damned who believe not the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. But we are bound to give thanks always to God for you, brethren beloved to the Lord, because God hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation through sanctification of the Spirit and belief of the truth." Whereunto he called you by our gospel to the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold the traditions which ye have been taught, whether by word or our epistle. Now our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God, even our Father, which hath loved us and hath given us everlasting consolation and good hope through grace, comforts your hearts and establishes you in every good work. Now listen. As the days worsen, how many would you say we're living in a pretty bad day? Now, here's the thing. I do not know if the Lord will return tonight or a thousand years from now. I don't know that. I don't know if we would hear that trumpet five minutes after this service concludes. I really don't know. As a matter of fact, if the trumpet were to sound now, it would save me teaching this because you would all have it revealed to you. You would know what was about to happen. But Here's the thing. Never in the history of the world have we had global issues like we do today. We have had empires rise and fall and often affected by many of the sins that we talk about today. Many of the empires that have fallen, the Greek Empire, the Roman Empire... They gave into lasciviousness, homosexuality, all these uh, sexual sins and perversions, and it caused the downfall of their empire. But never in the history of the world have we seen the entire world encompassed by those things. We only need to look to another country, and and you can see things happening, and and you say, well, that is just just dumbfounding. It is disgusting. It it, It is an abomination to God. And you can mark my words in just a few short months, even weeks or days, we'll start talking about it in Canada. And it won't be long, and we'll start embracing it. It's gone beyond the point of toleration to the point you better embrace what I think is right. Whether it's the murder of the unborn, whether it's the euthanization of those who are sick or the weakest among us, whether it's these other sexual sins and and the transgender movement and all that we see today and that God calls sin. We've never seen it on a global scale like we do today. If anything, we are seeing that we are Satan is using these things to inch us towards a one world government. It's no longer about the individual societies or, or countries or nations. Instead, it's about human rights as a whole. Think about that. Should we really go to China and have the Olympics because they violate human rights and we police the whole world now? rather than just our people or nation, creed or tongue. And so become, it becomes a very global issue very quickly. The world has become much smaller, hasn't it? With, with telecommunications the way they are, I just uh, was looking the other day at a, at a phone plan, and, and it said on that international texting, for $40 a month you can text anybody anywhere in the world that has a phone, and it doesn't cost you any extra. Our world has become so small. Television and news networks are satellites all over the world that bring everything right into our living room. We can see at a moment's notice when a bomb is launched and explodes in a little village somewhere halfway across the world. The world has become very small. And because of it, our community has become the world and not just our neighbors. And sin is rampant. And it's contagious too, by the way. Well, that's kind of the day that the Thessalonians were living in. As our day was getting worse, theirs was getting worse. But it was more of a targeted persecution. Believers in that day were were being persecuted by the Romans. We know that Nero was, was a great persecutor and he murdered many, many Christians. And even before the Apostle Paul was saved, he went forth as a Pharisee and he was killing Christians. The Bible says, breathing out threatenings and slaughter. So these people were fearful. Paul had taught them in 1 Thessalonians 14, or chapter 4, sorry, verse 14 through 18, about the rapture of the Lord Jesus Christ. He told them there was a day coming where the Lord Jesus Christ would take them home and they would escape the wrath to come, it says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. But here they were, In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, and they thought they had missed something. The world was quickly falling apart all around them, at least the world that they knew. And it might as well have been the whole world because that's all they knew. They didn't have the telecommunications that we have. They didn't have knowledge about China or Europe or England or any other place in the world that people lived in those days. All they knew is what they heard all around them, what they saw their neighbors being slaughtered for the cause of Christ because of their faith in Jesus and they begin to wonder did we miss something are we in the tribulation here's the thing the bible says in first peter or second peter chapter 3 knowing this first that there shall come in the last days scoffers Walking after their own lust and saying, Where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. Peter is warning those that he's writing to that in the last days, scoffers will come and they will mock this idea about the second coming of Christ. They'll say, Where is he? Where is his promise? And the problem is, there's going to be a lot of people that are that are born-again believers in Christ. And because of the wickedness all around us, they're going to go, I wonder if they're right. Did we miss something? Did we, did we miss out on the, the church of Thessalonica did? And notice what Paul says to them. Sometimes we believe all the noise that is all around us. And we begin to question what God has promised us. But notice what he says, now we beseech you brethren by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together unto him. Beseech means to beg, I'm I'm begging you to understand this important doctrine about the coming of Jesus and our gathering together of him. In verse 2, be not soon shaken in mind, and the word shaken there is the idea much like lightning that strikes, a sudden jolt a catching away, something that, that grabs your attention. He says, don't be shaken or startled or scared or be troubled. And the word troubled there is talking about a long-term confusion. It has left you bothered. You might receive a phone call that somebody has died and it shocks you. But then you might be troubled for days over it. And that's what these two words are meaning. There's a, a shock value about it and there's also a troubleness that goes about it. So he goes ahead and he gives us some clarity. He says, number one, don't be shaken in mind over the day of Christ. He had taught them about the rapture. Now let's look back there. Just turn back a page for Thessalonians chapter four. We're going to do it like a Bible study tonight. I want to read the scripture. I've quoted a little bit of it, but I would verse 13, but I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that ye sorrow not even as others which have no hope. shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another... With these words. And so Paul had taught them about the day of Christ or the day of the Lord. He had uh, taught them very thoroughly that, that, that when the Lord Jesus Christ comes, we'll be gathered together of them. And then in chapter 5 and verse 1, he says this But of the times and the seasons, brethren, ye have need, no need that I write unto you, for yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. For when they shall say peace and safety, sudden destruction cometh upon them as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. But ye, brethren, are not in darkness, that the day should overtake you as a thief. Ye are all children of the light and children of the day. We are not of the night, nor of the darkness. In other words, it ought not be a surprise when the Lord comes. We ought to be ready for the return of the Lord. We ought to be looking for the return of the Lord. He says, so it's not a surprise. I can't tell you the days of the season, and, and uh, it'll overtake like a thief in the night. But it should not be a surprise when the Lord returns. Now... Here's the problem. In Paul's initial teaching, he didn't give them a ton of details. And this church out on the outskirts of the the realm in Thessalonica likely didn't have access to a lot of scrolls. They were not like you and I that have a Bible in your home. Probably some of you had three, four Bibles in your home. They would have to go to the synagogue and they would have to get a scroll and those scrolls were protected by the scribes and they were sacred and and not just anybody could open those and read those. So perhaps they didn't understand the prophecies of the book of Daniel. The book of Revelation had not yet been written. Some of the gospels were still being penned and so the words of the Lord Jesus Christ in Matthew 24 were maybe not available to them. So all they had is what Paul had taught them by word and by letter in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And he doesn't lay out much about the tribulation. So they're saying, did we miss this, Paul? Over there in Jerusalem, were they saying peace and safety and we never got the news? Did we not know that this was happening? Because let me tell you, this is bad. This persecution that we are facing is hard. And they were troubled and they were shaken in their minds, thinking that maybe we're already in the tribulation period. Notice what Paul says to them. He gives them some clarity, first of all. They thought they had missed it out. And when the Bible says in verse uh, sorry, I turned I went too far. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 2. That ye not be soon shaken to mind or be troubled, neither by spirit nor by word, nor by letter as from us, that the day of Christ is at hand. That phrase at hand has two meanings. It could mean it's coming soon, it's near, it's close, or it can mean it's here now. And in the context of the Greek here, it means we believe it's here now. They thought they'd entered into this tribulation period. Notice the second thing. So we see, first of all, he challenges them not to be shaken. But then he says, I want to give you some clear signs of the day of Christ. So now the Apostle Paul is going to teach them a little deeper, a little more thoroughly about this tribulation period. So in other words, uh, I want you to know when it comes, the world will know it. The world will know it. They'll be raptured. They'll be gone. But I want you to know the world is going to know that you're in the tribulation period. And here's how. Look at verse 3. Verse 3 says, Let no man deceive you by any means. For that day shall not come except there come a falling away first, and that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition. Now let me say this so we understand. You see, well, these Thessalonians, they were a silly group that just didn't listen to the Apostle Paul do you remember 2 Peter chapter 3 where it said, in the last days scoffers shall come? And they'll say, where is the promise of his coming? I already quoted that verse. Notice verse 2, what Paul says has happened to the church at Thessalonica. That ye be not soon shaken in mind or be troubled, neither by what? Spirit. That is not the Holy Spirit. That's a small s spirit. There are deceptive spirits. He says, don't be troubled by spirits. Number two, Nor by what? Small w, it's not the word of God. There's some false teachers spreading their lies. Nor by letter as from us. He's not saying a letter from us, but a letter that looks like it came from us. Somebody is actively trying to deceive the church at Thessalonica. A false prophet is speaking. They're writing letters. There's a spirit of Antichrist at work here. The man of lawlessness, the Bible says in verse 7, that is already at work among us. The Bible talks about the spirit of Antichrist. It's already at work among us. We'll look at both those verses in just a minute. But somebody's trying to deceive them. And so Paul says, I want to give you some concrete evidence. Here's some signs. Verse 3. Number 1, that the man of sin be revealed. Who is that? That's the Antichrist. The the Bible calls him the man of perdition. But back up before that, we see something that happens first. Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come, except there come a what? Falling away. Now listen. You might look at that and say, "Well, well, that's what we got. We have a falling away. Here's the problem. In the Greek, the word a, a falling away, is a stronger tense than what we use as the word. It means the falling away. It's not talking about a general backslidden or apostasy of people. We see, we see that all through the Bible. We see those that have become apostate or those that have been bewitched, it talks about, or those that have fallen away from the faith or those that went out from among us because they were never of us. And we see that over and over again in the Bible. But the Bible is talking about in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, a falling away. It's talking about the great falling away. There's a time where that general apostasy will take over the earth. I am not a prophet, but it sure feels like we're right, right on the edge of that. It sure feels like we are knocking on the door. You you go down into the public square today and you mention the name of God. You try to tell people that, hey, there is a God, a creator, and you are accountable to him and you will answer to him and you will stand in judgment. And nobody wants judgment today. Nobody wants to be accountable The Bible talks about in Matthew chapter 24 that in the days of Noah, as it was in the days of Noah, what was it in the days of Noah? Every man did that which was right in his own eyes. That is the trumpet clarion call of the day. I want to live for self. I want to do what I want to do. And so we, we may not be there, but we are knocking on the door. We are in the 11th hour. We are seeing this great falling away. Now, the Bible talks about that. So let's, let's look at a couple of those passages. Keep your finger there. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 4. You should only be a page or two away. Verse 1. Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry... And commanding to abstain from meats. The only people I know that do that, by the way, are the the Catholic priests. Yeah, I said it. Which God hath created to be received with thanksgiving in them which believe and know the truth. For every creature of God is good and nothing to be refused if it received with thanksgiving. Notice the condition of those days. The Spirit, capital S, Spirit of God says that in the latter times, some will depart from the faith and get heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. Listen, if the sin that we don't see in the world today is not the reduce of seducing spirits, that's exactly what it is. Devil has deceived the minds of men, women, and children. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 3. Turn over just a couple more pages. 2 Timothy chapter 3. Turn away. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 3. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth, and they shall be turned to fables. That is a description of the falling away of the latter times. We are knocking on the door. We are so close. But not only do we see a great falling away, Back in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, we see the man of sin revealed. Paul is trying to reinforce in the minds of the Thessalonicans, hold on, you're not in that period yet. Because the falling away has to take place, and the man of sin must be revealed. Who is this man of sin? He is the Antichrist. Turn, if you will, to Daniel chapter 8. We're going to look at just a few verses very quickly of the description of this man of sin. Daniel chapter 8. Verse 23, and in the latter time of their kingdom, when the transgressors are come to the full, a king of fierce countenance and understanding dark sentences shall stand up. The Bible calls him a king of fierce countenance. He will lead with a fist of iron, not with love. And he'll be one that understands dark sentences, which tends to mean that that he will give heed to these seducing spirits. He'll understand and communicate with these spirits of Satan and be led by him and very much the Bible calls him the son of perdition or the man of sin, possessed by the devil himself and led about by him. Look, if you will, at Daniel chapter 9, verse 26, Daniel chapter 9, verse 26. And after three score and two weeks, talking about the tribulation period, shall Messiah be cut off, but not for himself. And the people of the prince that shall come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. And the end thereof shall be with a flood. And under the end of the war of desolations are determined. So this great prince will come during the tribulation period. And he will come with a mighty flood, the Bible says, and he'll destroy the great city of God. That is his Mandate, and that is his desire. Look at uh, Daniel chapter 11 and verse 36. We read more about him here in verse 36. And the king shall do according to his will, and he shall exalt himself and magnify himself above every god and shall speak marvelous things against the god of gods and shall prosper to the indignation be accomplished, for that is determined shall be done." Neither shall he regard the God of his fathers, nor the desire of women, nor regard any God, for he shall magnify himself above all. Notice, notice some things about this fellow. He's above God, he believes. He will exalt himself above God. And we will see in a moment that in the abomination and desolation, the Bible talks about this man of sin going into the very temple of God, into the Holy of Holies, and setting himself up as God. Exalting himself. Against who God is. Demanding worship like he is God. The Bible says he does not regard women. There's, there's that revelation, revolution going on today about, uh, about doing away with genders. And, and doing away with uh, husband and wife relationships. And we just see a massive uh, perversion in our world today. And the Bible says he'll be right in the middle of it. He'll be a part of it. Look at verse 30, uh 7. Neither shall he regard the God of his fathers, nor the desire of women, nor regard any God, for he shall magnify himself above all. But in his estate shall he honor the God of forces, and the God whom his fathers knew not shall he honor with gold and silver, and with the precious stones and pleasant things. This shall he do in the most strongholds with a strange God, whom he shall acknowledge and increase with glory. And he shall cause them to rule over many, and shall divide the land for gain. And at the time of the end shall the king of the south push at him... And the king of the north shall come against him like a whirlwind with chariots and with horsemen and with many ships. And he shall enter into the countries and shall overflow and pass over. He shall also enter into the glorious land and many countries shall be overthrown. But these shall escape out of his hand, even Edom and Moab and the chief of the children of Ammon. He shall stretch forth his hand also upon the countries and the land of Egypt shall not escape." But he shall have power over the treasures of gold and of silver, and over all the precious things of Egypt, and the Libyans and the Ethiopians shall be at his steps. But tidings out of the east and out of the north shall trouble him. Therefore he shall go forth with great fury to destroy and utterly to make away many. And he shall plant the tabernacle of his palace between the seas and the glorious holy mountain, Yet he shall not come to his end, or yet he shall come to his end, and none shall help him. It seems if we are understanding the scriptures correctly, this Antichrist will will make this peace treaty that we know about, and after certain years it'll be broken, and finally, some of the nations of the world will be fed up with him. The Bible talks about the armies of the north and of the east coming against him, and he will fight them with his fury. He'll have Egypt and Libya at his feet. He'll have others that will come to his aid. But in the end, he shall be destroyed. He shall be destroyed. Who is this man of sin? The Lord Jesus Christ also described him this way. I am come in my Father's name, and ye receive me not. Another shall come in his own name. Him ye will receive. Isn't that something? The Lord Jesus Christ comes as the Prince of Peace. And we say no. And the son of perdition comes and the world embraces him. What a horrible, horrible world we live in. So, notice, secondly, tonight regarding this man of sin in verse 4, 2 Thessalonians, look back there with me. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, he gets into more detail about this man of sin. In verse 3, he calls him the son of perdition who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God or that is worshiped so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God showeth himself that he is God. Remember ye not that when I was yet with you, I told you these things? So notice some of the specifics we see about the man of sin. Number one, he demands worship. He demands worship. Here's the thing. If you are ever asked to worship anything other than holy God, that is an idol and is an abomination. It's an idol and it's an abomination. The Bible says this man will demand worship. He will set himself up. Let's look at Revelation chapter 13. I don't think I'm going to get through everything tonight. But we're going to, we'll try. Revelation chapter 13. And I saw one of his heads, as it were, wounded to death, and his deadly wound was healed, and all the world wondered after the beast. And they worshipped the dragon, which gave power unto the beast. Remember I said that the man of sin, the son of perdition, this one that Revelation 13 calls the beast, was, was in, uh, possessed by Satan himself. The Bible says that the dragon gives power unto the beast. Think about that. Verse 4, and they worshiped the dragon, which gave power unto the beast. And they worshiped the beast, saying, Who is like unto the beast? Who is able to make war with him? And there was given unto him a mouth, speaking great things and blasphemies. And power was given unto him to continue forty and two months. And he opened his mouth in blasphemy. By the way, after those forty and two months, Daniel tells us, when the power is taken away, then he is vulnerable. And eventually it will end in his certain death when the Lord Jesus Christ returns. Praise the Lord for the end of the Bible, amen? Verse six, and he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God to blaspheme his name and his tabernacle and then and them that dwell in heaven. Look at verse 14, jump down there. And deceiveth them that dwell on the earth by the means of those miracles which he had power to do. The Antichrist has power to Listen, just because somebody can do a miracle or a power, don't, don't just automatically assume it's of God. Satan has a lot of power. We see a lot of nonsense in the world today and and feats that take place and people flock to it and say, I want to be healed and I want to be helped. And hey, it's not all of God. Satan has power to heal. Or Satan has power to do signs and wonders. Look what it says. Uh, And he had power to, verse 15, he had power to give life unto the image of the beast. And the image of the beast should both speak and cause that as many as would not worship the image of the beast should be killed. He demands worship. He sets himself up as God and he takes this image and he puts it into the Holy of Holies and people are to worship that image of himself. And that word, that image even has the power to speak. Incredible miracles and signs that this beast can do. Notice, if you will i I'm not going to go back there. And Daniel, we read some in Daniel already, it speaks about this demand of worship as well. Matthew chapter 24 says this, when he therefore shall see the abomination of desolation, that's what Daniel called this setting up in the temple. When the Antichrist, the beast, this one that is filled with Satan himself, will set himself up in the Holy of Holies as God and demanding worship, Daniel called it the abomination of desolation the desolation of the holy place. And now Jesus refers to it in Matthew 24, when he therefore shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, stand in the holy place, whoso readeth let him understand, then let them which be in Judea flee unto the mountains. This is a sure sign, though when the man of sin is revealed, that a time of great tribulation and God's wrath will be poured out upon the earth. He said, well, what is stopping him now? Well, the Bible tells us in verse 5 of 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. What suppresses the man of sin? Notice what it says. Remember you not that when I was with you, I told you these things. Paul is reminding the Thessalonians, I've taught you about the rapture. I've taught you about the tribulation. I've even taught you these things. Now, we don't have these things written down before now, so it was oral. He was teaching them these things. And now he's trying to remind them, so he's putting it in a letter. I'm I'm learning that I need to be like that too. Somebody will say something to me and and I'll hear it. I need to write it down. And so Paul is saying, we're going to write this down this time. We want you to hear it. Remember I taught you these things? Now look what it says in verse 6. And now ye know what withholdeth that he might be revealed in his time. This letter was to the church of Thessalonica. They would already been given a foundation orally. And now Paul is saying, you know what I'm talking about. And we're all sitting here going, uh, I'm not sure we do. Because we didn't hear the oral teaching. We only have 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and 5, and we have what he is teaching us now. But we, we know enough to be able to piece it together. So look what it says. And now ye know what withholdeth, that he might be revealed in his time. There's only one thing, one force in this world that can restrain the power of Satan. That's the very Holy Spirit of God. Look at verse 7. For the mystery of iniquity, here's a scary thought, doth already work. He's already at work. He's just throttled back. He's being restrained. There's only a part of, of the work that. Can, can you imagine if Satan was allowed to do whatever he wanted to do? He's, he's only got certain access, he's only got limited powers right now. The Bible says that he is being restrained. He's at work. Only he who now letteth will let. Until he be taken out of the way. Verse 8. And then shall that wicked be revealed whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. I I like that. Just the very brightness of the Lord Jesus Christ can destroy him. Just Jesus shows up and just, just... Just like evaporate him. Just the word of God going forth out of his mouth and the brightness of his glory can destroy him. So right now, the Bible talks about this this mystery of iniquity that is already at work. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 3, it says this, And every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is not of God, and this is that spirit of Antichrist, whereof ye have heard that it should come, listen, and even now already is it in the world. It's already at work. The spirit of Antichrist and the mystery of iniquity, it's only being suppressed right now by the Holy Spirit of God. But Paul is telling the Thessalonians, you want to know when the tribulation comes? When I release the Holy Spirit over him and all hell breaks loose on earth. Because the man of sin, possessed by very Satan himself, will have power to do works and signs and wonders and he will deceive the whole world. Read on. What is his strategy? Look at verse 9. Even him whose coming is after the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying and wonders. He'll do signs and wonders. Revelation chapter 13, we already read verses 13 to 17. We read 14 and 15, but 13 to 17 talks about the signs and the wonders of the Antichrist. Write that down. Listen, look what it says next. And with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them That perish. You know what the sad thing is? It's sad when believers are deceived. The Bible says that this man of sin will come to deceive the world, but he's going to deceive those that perish. You know why? Because we're already in heaven. We've already been caught away. The rapture has taken place during this period. So all that's left are those that are unsaved. Notice what it says about them. It says, those that perish... Uh, verse uh, 10, and with all deceitfulness, unrighteousness in them that perish, because they received not the love of the truth that they might be saved. Unsaved people, lost. And, and their fate has been sealed because they have rejected the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 11, and for this cause, God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie. He said, What does it mean God's going to send a delusion? In the Old Testament, we have the plagues against Egypt. And the Bible often says that God hardened Pharaoh's heart. I've come to understand, or at least what I think is happening there, is that I don't believe that God reached down into the heart of Pharaoh and said, resist, reject it, don't, don't let him go. I think what happened is that when God sent a plague, it made Pharaoh so angry that his heart got hardened. And so the Bible can honestly say God hardened his heart because he just got mad at God. I think, I think Pharaoh's resolve was just strengthened each time. I think he got angrier and angrier against God because he worshipped a false god. And so his heart was hardened as a result of what God was doing. And so when I read this scripture in that context, I think, I, I don't believe that God is sending out to deceive people. God is not the author of confusion. Right? I think what is happening is this man of sin is going out to deceive and because God has removed his Holy Spirit from the earth, they are now easily deceived and they'll believe a lie. It's not that hard to understand anymore, is it? 50 years ago, if we could have opened up the curtain of time and said, this is 2022 and take you downtown Toronto or any other major city in North America, and said, here's what the culture looks like. You would have said, there's no way. There's no way people could be that foolish and that deceived. But today, I feel like I could stand out on the street corner and if I preach anything but Jesus Christ, they'll believe it. If I could say I got this brand new vehicle and I'm going to send monkeys to Mars, I'd have people lining up to hear about it. And it'd be all over the internet and people would be putting it on Facebook and they'd be rejoicing in this new technology and they'd believe it. If I I were to stand out in a street corner tonight and say I've invented a brand new gender, they'd believe it, but they'd have to accept it too, by the way. That's, that's the craziness we have in our world today. It's not so hard to believe that the world's going to believe a lie anymore because they're believing them every day. This is what the tribulation period is going to... By the way, this is just kicking it off. This is before the wrath of God is even revealed. This is just the man of sin coming onto the scene. This is just the very beginning of it all. God has not yet opened a seal. He has not yet poured out his wrath. We don't read any of that in the book of Thessalonians. It just talks about this wicked one that will come. Hey, how many glad are you going to be in heaven when that happens? Man, I'm glad we're not here for it. Notice what he says about this deception. These lost will never, will believe this lie. In verse 11, for this cause God shall send them strong delusion and they shall believe a lie that they all might be damned who believed not the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. I'm going to stop there. I'm not going to finish. The next few verses, Paul first talks to them about some clarity about the rapture and about the tribulation period. Now he gives them some comfort. Let me just read through them very quickly. We are bound to give thanks always to God for you, brethren beloved of the Lord, because God hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation through sanctification of the Spirit and belief of the truth. So he gives them some encouragement. Verse 14, whereunto he called you by our gospel to the attaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. What's he saying to them? Hey, you don't have to worry about any of it because you're saved. You've been called away from all that. You're set apart. That's what sanctified means. You're set apart unto God. You don't have to worry about this. So he gives them some encouragement. Number two, he gives them an exhortation. Therefore, brethren, verse 15, stand fast. Hold the traditions. What's, what's he saying when he says that? We sometimes think tradition's a bad thing. He's saying, hold on to what I've taught you. The things you've learned. Rehearse them. Teach your children. Keep reminding one another. He said it this way First 1 Thessalonians chapter 14. Comfort one another with these words. Hold fast the tradition. So he, he's given them an exhortation. And in verse 16, he gives them an entreaty or a prayer. Now our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God, even our Father, which hath loved us and hath given us everlasting consolation and good hope through grace, comfort your hearts and establish you in every good work. He is praying for them to be encouraged. Listen, there are pockets in, his, in the history of time that I, I'm sure people went outside and looked to the heavens and said, Lord, are you coming tonight? This is unbearable. And Paul reminds us tonight no, we're not quite there yet. We could have gone to Matthew 24 and saw what Jesus said. And over and over, we can look through the Word of God and see this theme repeated that we are just to be steadfast and watching and be ready. Jesus could come tonight. I'm so glad that we are not a part of any of that. But that day is coming. You say, How does that apply to me tonight? And let me just give you a, a real quick challenger and exhortation. There are some that you know, if the Lord were to come tonight, aren't going with you. And they're going to be that group that perish, that group that might believe a lie, that group that'll be eternally lost. It's so sad today. It's so sad today to see all the things that are going on in our society. And knowing, I, I, somebody just said to me this morning, Pastor, how do we deal with grandchildren that are caught up in this LGBTQ stuff? How, how, do, how do we respond to that? Isn't it sad? I, I bet everyone in the room could raise their hand and say, I, I know somebody is messed up. A kid, a grandkid, Whatever. The one that's trying to get all those sidewalks painted, and that little that little boy that thinks he's a girl in town, that's my cousin. It's child abuse. Pure and simple, that's what that is. Child abuse. A confused little child with no parent to guide them in truth. And we look at that and we say, it breaks my heart. Let me tell you, it's gonna be much worse in the tribulation period. We're going to leave behind people that so desperately need the Lord Jesus Christ today. Remember Enoch from this morning? Because he had this testimony that before he was translated, he pleased God. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. You see, we only have this life to get it right after it's too late. So let's pray like never before. Let me ask you this. Do you believe Jesus could come tonight? Then you know somebody you need to pray for. Father, we love you. Speak to our hearts. Challenge us with this teaching tonight, Lord, just to, be, to understand what this... Ma- just, just the man of sin. We didn't even talk about the judgments of God or what's going to happen on earth, but just this man of sin that's to be revealed and how the entire world will fall away apostate. No knowledge of God. As this man of sin, this son of perdition, comes to exalt himself against God, people will fall on their knees and worship him. Oh God, I pray that you'd help us to understand that we have loved ones that may face that fate. If you were to come tonight, Lord, they're they're lost. They have to deal with all of that. And Lord, lost for eternity. God, I pray that you just renew our fervor to tell people about Jesus. Lord, we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. let's stand for just a moment. Maybe God has laid somebody on your heart you need to pray for. Why don't you take this time and pray for them tonight.